Hello, my Rebels. Today, I'm going to take you through the absolute fiasco that is Toronto's International Airport. It's called Pearson Airport. Just an incredible mess. And I want to show it to you through the eyes of an American journalist who tells his unbelievable story. Um, and I'll, I'll also quote from a former Air Canada executive, show you his point of view. Very, very interesting. And I got lots to say because, of course, I haven't been allowed on a plane in quite a while along with millions of other Canadians. That's ahead. I, I think it's a fun show today, if I may. Uh, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. You get the video version. you got to see it. You've got to see this guy and his Twitter video of being trapped in Pearson. you got to see it. Um, just go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's 8 bucks a month. It's a video version of the show every day, plus four other shows each week. So that's 36 shows a month just for 8 bucks. We get no money from Trudeau which is why we can be so independent, and that's why we need your help. So please do go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, Canada's airports enter a total meltdown, and Trudeau doesn't care. It's June 7th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I haven't flown on a plane in a very long time. Uh, when we sent a team of journalists to Davos, Switzerland a few weeks ago to cover the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization Assembly, you might have noticed that none of them were Canadians. Our reporters were from Australia, the United Kingdom, and America uh, because our Canadians are banned from flying. It's outrageous. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. It's treating healthy people like sick people. It's treating innocent people like guilty people. And it makes no sense. It is... <laughs> Now, conventional wisdom, it's well documented that even people who take the COVID vaccines can still get sick and can still pass the illness on to others. It would meet no traditional definition of a vaccine. Here's the biggest vaccine monger himself saying so. The idea of checking if people are vaccinated, mm. you know, if you have breakthrough infections, mm. what's the point? Makes even less sense given that the unvaccinated can still travel on buses which aren't as well ventilated and obviously take a lot longer, keeping people together a lot longer than a plane would. There's no science here. No other country in the world does this, with the possible exception of China, but I'm not even sure about that. The fact that the entire establishment in Canada just accepts this is deeply depressing, and it shows just how shallow the roots of liberty have become in our Canadian soil. So it's with a small degree of schadenfreude, that's the German word for taking joy in someone else's misery, that I see stories like this from airports, especially the Toronto airport. Now, I have no malice towards those who are flying while I am not allowed to do so. I don't wish to deny them their right to choose to take the jab, just as I don't want my own right not to take the jab to be denied. But if I'm in the caste of untouchables, if I'm segregated, if I'm a second-class citizen, I can at least comfort myself by knowing that those who have complied with Trudeau's demands, whether for their own reasons or his reasons, 
they're not really doing a lot of flying themselves because look at that. Look at our airports. They are in a meltdown. Look at this video from yesterday. This is an American. I think he used to be an NHL player. He's a sports journalist for Barstool Sports. Great guys. He was simply trying to get home from Edmonton to Boston. Listen to this story, this video, as I say this, by the way, has had uh, just under 2 million views in the past day. It's a tweet. He says, I live at Toronto Pearson International Airport, the worst place on earth. I smell so bad. <laughs> Watch the video. Hey, guys. Wit here. I don't even really know where to explain. So for people telling me to drive, I can't drive. They have my bags, they won't give them back. So I had Edmonton to Toronto. Yesterday I landed around three. I then had Toronto to Boston at 8.30. Customs was about three hours, got through, flight canceled from Toronto to Boston. All right, at this point now I go and I see there is a 400 person line with two Air Canada workers. There's a million canceled flights, everyone's just panicking. So I waited in that line about six hours. At near the end of the line, by the way, you know how much my feet hurt? Be it near the end of the line, they closed it. They just said, oh, you have to go somewhere else. We had to re-enter Canada. We had to go through Canadian customs. So by the time I finally see someone from Air Canada, it's 1 a.m. I said, can I just get my bags? I had a ride to Buffalo all set up and I had a JetBlue flight from Buffalo. I just need to get out of this country, out of this airport. This is the worst airport on earth. I'm telling you, there's no other airport like this. So they say, no, 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 you can't have your bags. You, you, your bags are already like in the middle of no man's land. You can't have your bags. So we have a 8.50 flight for you from Toronto to Boston for this morning. This is, last, this is at 1 a.m. Okay, I be here at 5 a.m., they said. So I got here at 4.55, I wanted to be five minutes early. So I wanted to be three hours and 55 minutes early. I get here, this woman says, oh, we booked you actually on a flight from here to Montreal and then Montreal to Boston, but that leaves in 50 minutes and you can't make it. They never sent me an email. They just, I, I, I started laughing. I mean, what are, you, what are you gonna do? It was either that or like cry. So now I'm on a, so now I'm on a, a 10 a.m., but there's nobody really around the gate. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so in shock at this place. It is the biggest disgrace known to man. He had other videos too on the same subject. He says, Pearson Airport is hell on earth. The worst of the worst. This is customs line to re-enter Canada after I went through U.S. customs seven hours ago. Now, if you don't understand why you would be doing that, you're not alone. A number of people said, what are you talking about? And here's Whitney's attempt to explain it. He says, bro, that is the line for Canadian customs. I arrived from Edmonton and went through U.S. customs in Toronto. The flight was then canceled. Air Canada brought us to no man's land and waited for six hours in line to then have to re-enter Canada after we were given new flights. Can you believe that? He had to go through customs. He was flying from Edmonton. And he had to go through American customs, but then Canadian to get back. Can you believe that? It had a few more tweets that were painful 
and unbelievable, except he was showing it. Um, here's how it finally, finally ended. He says, it's over. I want to thank everyone for their teas and peas, thoughts and prayers, and the amazing chicklets, that's what he calls his listeners, who reached out to help. Best fans on earth, the exact opposite of Pearson International Airport. God bless anyone who ever has to step foot in that hellhole. Uh, I'm not sure if those are the words of someone who is in a rush to come back to Canada. And of course, even if he was in a rush to come back to Canada, it sounds like he couldn't come in a rush. Uh, he would be trapped in a Kafka-esque nightmare of lineups. Uh, I was reading about schadenfreude. It's a weird word, isn't it? Lots of big, long German words like that. Gloating is probably the closest word in English. And psychologists say that schadenfreude comes from three things, aggression or rivalry or justice. Aggression is in you, you hate someone, you want to see him fail. It's just, you know, you don't like someone. Or rivalry, that's it. You have a competitor, so it's personal. And then the third one, justice, it's sort of like karma. You think he had it coming. Ah, you know, there's some justice in the world. Now, none of those three things apply here, right? I mean, this seems like a good guy. I'm not aggressive towards him. He's a, he's a foreign reporter who had the worst travel experience of his life. So I, I, I guess I take it back. I don't feel schadenfreude watching his story. I'm, I'm not taking joy from his suffering. I'm not a rival of his. There's no justice in it. What's he got to do with it at all, actually? He's, a, he's an American who wanted to visit us. Seems like a fun guy, actually. And he had the worst experience, and now millions of people know about it. Uh, what a laugh. Just a week ago, the transport minister, Omar al-Jabra, launched some lame government PR attempt to rekindle international tourism in Canada. Yeah, like, like you can have a little Twitter ad, but I don't think that's going to rebut millions of people watching uh, Whitney's videos, especially Americans seeing and hearing the truth for themselves. And I don't think even really, you know, feel schadenfreude for Canadians who are flying. I mean, why should they be punished for wanting to get back to normal like we all do? The fact that Trudeau treats them like first-class citizens legally, and he treats me and millions of others as second-class citizens, it's not really the fault of the first-class citizens. I mean, it might, it might be nice to see a bit of solidarity, but really, if the people whose job it is to stand up for civil liberties, if they don't, why should you expect normal people to do so? Uh, the media, they don't care. The courts, they don't care. The public health doctors, they don't care. The airlines themselves. If they're silent, why should a normal person speak out? I mean, to do the right thing is the answer, of course. But what about those who are literally duty-bound to fight against this injustice? Where's the CEO of Air Canada himself? We saw that brave tweet from the WestJet CEO the other day. Remember, he's new to the job, new to Canada. I think he only started in February, so he doesn't even know that the Canadian way is to be compliant and submissive. Air Canada knows that better than anyone's so much for corporate citizenship in Canada. That just means being obedient. I, I thought this was a riveting statement by a tourism uh, official, though. The bravest thing I had heard to that point. Here, take a listen for a minute. This is really about 
facilitating the smooth travel process. So this is backing up arrivals at our border. You're, th you're talking about, you know, if you just take the example of Pearson, 30,000 people coming through per day through our international arrivals into our facility. And it would normally take a customs agent 30 seconds to process that passenger when they're at their desk. It's, you know, it should take an international standard would be about 20 minutes to get through the line. And we're seeing much longer lines. We're seeing people backed up waiting on planes anywhere from 30 up to 75 minutes at peak times. So this is just unacceptable in terms of entry into Canada. And the reason is, is because each person has to be vetted in terms of health questions that are asked multiple times, both in the ArriveCan app also at the machine, by the customs agent at the desk, and then we need to decide, or the government agency needs to decide who is going to be randomly selected for testing. 4,000 people a day are randomly selected for testing, but we need to vet all 30,000 of those passengers into Pearson, 50,000 into our country. It's slowing down the process in terms of smooth arrivals into our country. Our airports were not built to facilitate public health requirements, they were built for the smooth, you know, transiting of passengers welcoming, welcoming them into our country. So this is really what's backing up the system at our international arrival. She's so right. There are mass public health facilities in the world. Um, Ellis Island, as a place in New York City, uh, near the Statue of Liberty, where new immigrants to America over a century ago were inspected for disease and quarantined when they arrived by ship from Europe. Uh, a mass health inspection station, a mass immigration station, and a jail. All in one, you know, 12 million people passed through Ellis Island. Just huge. But that was its purpose. It was built for that. Regular citizens didn't go through there. It was just for these newcomers. Now, Justin Trudeau has asked Pearson International Airport in Toronto by far Canada's busiest airport, with an enormous number of foreign flights to boot, especially from the United States. So suddenly you're asking a busy airport to change from being a busy airport into an Ellis Island. Uh, How is that possible? Even changing a 30-second document inspection to a two-minute document in inspection, as if that's all it was, that alone can back things up hours Think about it. If you have hundreds of people coming off a plane, that's hours. The vaccine checks on foreigners whose home countries no longer require them to carry their vaccine cards around, including America, of course. Seriously, who on earth would come up here unless they absolutely had to? Did you see that video from that Whitney guy? Now, Duncan D is the name of a former chief operating officer of Air Canada about a decade ago. His job was literally to make the planes fly on time. He knows logistics and schedules and all the behind-the-scenes planning. I'd like to read a series of tweets from him to you, each one a fascinating lesson, something that Trudeau and his transport minister have no clue about. Ready? Airlines are not configured to deal with three- to four-hour security and customs delays. That crew that was scheduled to operate your flight, they're out of duty time because the flight they operated this morning was held off gate for two hours. Isn't that interesting? 
That aircraft that was scheduled to operate your morning flight? Sorry, it missed its scheduled maintenance last night because it couldn't offload its passengers on time because the customs hall was full, so it can't be operated until the maintenance is completed. It's taking your bags a couple of hours to be delivered? Sorry, but the crew that was supposed to offload your bags is delayed taking the bags off another flight that customs held off gate. Why are there no staff to help you rebook your canceled flight when there are 400 people in line ahead of you? Sorry, the agents who were scheduled to start the customer service counter are still boarding their last flight because it took travelers three hours to get through security. You missed your connection because customs took two hours. The airline took off without you and the next flight with space isn't for two to three days. Sorry, but if the airline held the flight for you, the travelers using the aircraft on the return leg would have missed their connections. You arrived at the airport three hours before departure, but there isn't an agent to check your bag in? That's because the agent who was assigned is meeting a flight that was waiting for at a gate since the last flight that was assigned to it was held off gate because customs was full. And then he concludes by saying the government may want to minimize the fallout from its poor planning, but airlines are not configured to handle 65 plus days of delays. They are, there are simply not enough crews, staff, aircraft, or empty seats to fix the government's mess. Whoa, did you and I just learn a lot about running an airplane there? And uh, you add hours of delays. Imagine the domino effect of that. He's right on all those points, of course. I mean, think about any place where there are lineups that have to move pretty quickly and things need to move on time. A bus stop is a small example, a train station, a, a gas station, a grocery store, checkout line, a restaurant, a movie line, anything. And then imagine adding a government bureaucrat asking stupid questions about unscientific things for which they are poorly trained and understaffed. Nothing would work. Like imagine, imagine a gas station where you have to talk to someone for five minutes before you're allowed to pump your gas. Or, or a grocery store checkout where someone held you up for two minutes before you got it. Like imagine any other place in the world, it would break down. Blaming the airlines doesn't make sense, though it is fair to ask. How many senior experienced staff did Air Canada fire because they didn't get jabbed? A hundred? A thousand? I wonder if losing hundreds of competent, experienced staff might have added to this mess. Just a crazy thought. They, they should be rehired, apologized to, and compensated so where is Trudeau? <laughs> he doesn't care. He flies on a private jet courtesy of you. He doesn't care. So where's Omar Al-Jabra, the transport minister? Well, um, I took a look at his, his, his Twitter feed, and it gives some idea of what he's up to. Um, here he is, busy with very important business for a transport minister um, in, in meeting with uh, the Ukraine government, apparently. Oh, um, here he is uh, calling Canadians racist. That's, that's his part-time duties in cabinet. And here he is busy meeting with children from his writing. That's a Trudeau specialty because children typically don't ask tough questions. Yeah, so um, I'm not happy that anyone is being stuck 
for 6, 12, 8, 24, 36 hours at Pearson Airport. I, I retract that whole schadenfreude thing. No one deserves this except for maybe the people who voted for it, the people who agreed with Trudeau when he said we shouldn't tolerate the unvaccinated. Ici, des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui ne croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, qui sont souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, un, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on est qu tolère? Yeah, I'm sort of happy the people who voted for him are delayed. If you voted for Trudeau or for his enabler, Jagmeet Singh, yeah, you kind of asked for this. So, yeah, no sympathy from me, but most Canadians did not. But maybe that's important. Maybe once liberal voters, mask lovers, maybe the people who thought the punishments would just be on the unvaxxed, maybe it's actually essential that their travel plans are absolutely destroyed. Because maybe Trudeau will listen to their calls for help. Trudeau did all this. He kept all these abusive rules as a vengeance on the unvaccinated. That's the delay they're talking about. No other country does this. It's a vendetta against the unvaxxed. It's a punishment. There's no science behind it. The only question is how much collateral damage is Trudeau willing to do to other people, his own people, bystanders, Canada-US trade, the airlines themselves, before he must bend the knee and get rid of his vaccine rules like the rest of the world has done. I don't know the answer to that. I've never seen Trudeau acknowledge that he was wrong before on anything. I've never seen him apologize or admit failure. This is the guy, remember, who sexually assaulted Rose Knight in Creston, BC, and when asked about it, said, well, she just experienced it differently. And the media bought that. I've been reflecting very carefully on what I remember from that incident almost 20 years ago. And again, I am, I feel, I am confident that I uh, did not act inappropriately. But part of this awakening that we're having as a society, a long-awaited uh, realization, is that it's not just uh, one side of the story that matters. That the same interactions could be experienced very differently from one person to the next. And I am not going to speak for the, the woman in question. I would never presume to speak for her. Uh, but I know that uh, there is an awful lot of reflection to be had as we move forward as a society on how people perceive different interactions. Um, like I said, uh, I do not feel that I acted inappropriately uh, in any way, uh, but I respect uh, the fact that someone else might have experienced that differently. And this is part of the reflections that we have to go through. Yeah, wh why would he bend the knee on this? But look at this. Look at this. Just today. Toronto mayor says delays at Pearson Airport unacceptable after video of ex-NHLers ordeal goes viral. He's talking about that video we showed. Now, there is no greater coward in politics, no greater follower as opposed to a leader, no more conventional thinker in this country's polit political world than the mayor of Toronto, John Tory. 
And he was a mask fetishist of the first order. He's the weirdo who, who drew circles in public parks and you had to stay in your circle. Um, on, on the lawn, he, he, you're crazy. So if, if he is calling for change, you know the tide has turned. I mean, naturally, he cares more about an ex-NHLer than an ordinary person. He's a snob, naturally. So yeah. I look at the pain and disaster and dislocation, the destruction of business plans, of family plans, and I sort of laugh because I can't be part of it. And I hope that those who are being unfairly punished by it, and liberals who are too stupid to anticipate the consequences of their own votes, hopefully their discomfort and inconvenience is enough to change the rules in a way that our courts and our media and our public health officers would not do. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, uh, there's a crazy phenomenon these days called Drag Queen Story Hour, where outrageously dressed drag queens read books to school children, typically in schools or libraries, children of tender years, in the most uh, astonishing displays. It wasn't very long ago where transvestites and drag queens were an exotic and very adult production. Um, a very obscure taste, and the idea that children would be involved was unthinkable. Now it's moved from Drag Queen Story Hour to actually recruiting kids to participate in stripping. Take a look at this of a drag queen event at a gay bar in Dallas, Texas. Note the sign that says, it's not going to lick itself. Children are encouraged to tip the strippers. Now, some might say this is anti-gay to criticize this. I think if you put aside the issue of homosexuality, come to the main question. Would it be any better? Would it be any different if these were eight, nine, ten-year-old girls at a heterosexual strip club? The answer is, of course not. Putting aside any question of homosexuality or heterosexuality, why is there any sexuality at all being foisted on young children in this way? It's truly wokeness gone mad. And who be better to challenge it than this man? Look at him in full flight, giving it what for to a town council dressed, playing the part, I guess a form of drag, playing a leftist, demanding action. Take a look at Alex Stein. Hello, how are you guys doing, Council? Um, so my name is Alexandria Stein, and I'm here today to call out transphobia here in Plano. I'm currently being restricted from swimming in the City of Plano Swim League against the women, even though it's clear that I reassigned my gender last week. Like, for example, do I look like a man? Obviously I'm not. This is a woman. But they're not going to let me swim and compete against the ladies because of transphobia. So what I need you guys to do is I need you to wake up. We have champions like Leah Thomas. She's an NCAA champion. 
the best swimmer in college today. I can't get a scholarship unless I'm able to send a recruiting tape to these colleges. So they say, oh, oh, you have an unfair advantage, Alexandria. What, what looks like, does this look like an unfair advantage to y'all? Does this look like an unfair advantage? There's nothing unfair about this. I mean, look at me. I'm freaking, I'm the same as a girl. It's really hard to tell if that was satire or if that was a real woke activist. These days, it's tough to tell. I can tell you that it was satire, political comedy, sort of Jonathan Swift style. And we're joined now by Alex Stein. He's actually in the studios of The Blaze in Dallas. He was outside that strip club on the weekend when those shenanigans went down and he joins us now. Alex, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, Ezra, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you. And I know you're doing such a great job with Rebel. You know, I know you live in a country where free speech is going to be limited at any time. So you are a real rebel for speaking against the establishment. So I really want to applaud you. And now let's talk about me. I am Primetime 99. I'm a comedian. But see, I, you made a good point. I like to consider myself to be the Andy Kaufman-esque, the political version of Andy Kaufman, because what I want to do is I want to blur the line of reality and fiction so that people question the reality in which they live. So that's why I do this astroturfing or culture jamming. I'm trying to highlight the most absurd parts of our culture and jam it in people's face so they can get a better uh, idea of what's really happening and what the agenda of these evil people or this establishment is really trying to uh, make us follow. Well, it's a tried and true form of satire. I mean, remember Jonathan Swift hundreds of years ago, uh, he wrote a story about uh, called A Modest Proposal, which was, of course, the, to eat the poor. He didn't mean it. It was just so absurd. And it was a thought experiment. It was satire. It was political commentary. I think you are the modern version of Jonathan Swift, but you don't just write it. You act it out. You live it out. Tell me what you did in Dallas on the weekend at this drag queen strip event for kids. I mean, I really don't care what adult people do in a club at night, uh, consenting adults and all that. But to get kids involved, gay club, straight club, it just seems really strange to be targeting young children. Ezra, you nailed it. Listen, like a lot of conservatives are ultra conservative and they are really against gay marriage and they're against, you know, the gay agenda. But for me, I don't really I don't mind. I mean, if a person wants to be a homosexual and do that in their private life, I actually don't care. And if a person wants to drag and go to a drag club and have drag brunch. Go ahead. This is a free country. I'm a libertarian in that mindset. But once you target children, because that's what this was, this was like, I imagine in college or, or in high school when a drug dealer gives a kid their first drug, the, the first drug's always free because they're trying to get you hooked. That's the kind of vibrational energy this had, like come into this bar. Because I remember in a call, when I was in college, going to a bar was the coolest thing ever. So you indoctrinate these kids, making it think, oh, well, if I'm gay, maybe I'll get to hang out at bars. I'll get to dance. And you had these parents. See, this is the problem. Having a trans kid is a lot like having a vegan cat. It's not the cat or the kid making the decision. It's the owner or the parent. And that was the problem here is the lack of parental guidance. And the parents should be held accountable more than the kids. But you nailed it. They were insinuating stripping. That it's not going to lick itself. All this was sexualized. It wasn't just some simple family outing. This is a sexual indoctrination of young children and toddlers, Ezra. You know, transvestites, uh, typically men dressing as women, is, is centuries old, really. And, uh, um, yeah, but it's a very adult thing. I, I think the decision to, to target children is what is the crisis here. And it's a cover for pedophilia.
And and these are not subjects that we talk a lot about on this show. I I find them distasteful to talk about. But I think what they're doing is they're using the political momentum of pride and gay pride and gay equality and gay marriage, which is all about adult things. And they're and targeting children is a stowaway. It's sneaking in. Uh, I mean, if you look at the modern pride flag, there's so many colors on there. It's much more than just the rainbow. I think they're trying to have a little stowaway. If you're getting eight, nine, ten-year-old kids involved, that's not gay or straight anymore. That is pedophilia. And I can't even believe I'm using these words, but I, I really think that's what it is. Well, Ezra, you're not wrong. Listen, Prince Andrew, the Queen's son, there's evidence that he was sleeping with an underage person hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. Bill Clinton, one of the most popular presidents in the United States, was on the Lolita Express 26 times with no secret service. Dennis Hastert, Secretary of the State, excuse me, Speaker of the House, was a convicted pedophile. So there are people in high powerful positions that have uh, uh, attacked children. So this is a bigger issue than just, oh, gay or straight. This is an attack on young kids that are the most vulnerable and the most easily uh, to indoctrinate. You know what I mean? They're the biggest, they're, they're the kids that are the biggest victim. When we come to the COVID policies, they're the ones that still have to wear the mask. They're the ones that, you know, aren't, they're all behind in all of the standardized testing here in America, what a kid should be doing in the third grade. You know, they're not even doing it up until uh, uh, freshman in high school. So a lot of what is going on in America and across the world is targeted in order to destabilize these kids' youth and take it away as soon as possible. Yeah, and, you know, you had a, you had a list of people who uh, were well-known to consort with Jeffrey Epstein. I think you left out Bill Gates and his yeah. repeated visits to meet with Jeffrey Epstein were so odious that even his wife, Melinda, divorced him for that reason. Here's just a quick reminder to our viewers of Melinda Gates saying that's why they divorced. Take a look at this. You know, it was also widely reported that Bill had a, a friendship or business or some kind of contact with Jeffrey Epstein and that you were not... Uh, that that was very upsetting to you. Did that play a role in the in the divorce at all in this process? Yeah, as I said, it's not one thing. It was many things. But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you made that clear to him? I made that clear to him. I also met Jeffrey Epstein exactly one time. Did you? Yes, because I wanted to see who this man was. And... Um, I regretted it from the second I stepped in the door. He was abhorrent. He was evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. So, you know, my heart breaks for these young women because that's how I felt. And here I'm an older woman. My God, I feel terrible for those young women. It's awful. You felt that the moment you walked in. I didn't he realize was awful. that. Yeah. And you shared that with Bill and he still continued to spend time with him? Any of the questions remaining about what Bill's relationship there was, those are for Bill to answer. Okay. But I made it very clear how I felt about him. Mm -hmm. So, it, so it's, not, it's not a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. These predators, I'm going to call Bill Gates a predator, mm -hmm. um, they have enormous financial influence, but of course some of them have cultural and political and journalistic influence too. You went down there. Tell me a little bit about that because you, you're an activist. I'd almost call you a performance artist. 
I am a performance point. artist. Yeah. Sorry, Ezra, I am. But I had to cut you off because I had to make one point about Bill Gates, too. This is another thing we don't talk about. His dad, William Gates Sr., started Planned Parenthood with Margaret Sanger. So Bill Ooh. Gates is not, not only is he a mass vaccinator, not only does he have the worst computer program that is just infected with viruses that he stole, literally. You know, he had a plan. Of, IBM could have made the software, and he actually bought that software in Seattle from another developer. And he made it, he made his billions of dollars off the backs of other people. So the Gates family, in your opinion, I agree agree with you 100%. So now let me get a little bit to this event. I am a performance artist. I, I try to keep things light. I actually want to, we're under constant trauma-based mind control is what I call it, Ezra from the media. When you turn on CNN, it's always going to be a death scroller. It's always going to be a negative story, breaking news, school shooting, this and that. Yet in Chicago, where the shooting's absolutely terrible, they don't cover that because they do that on purpose in order to put forth an agenda because it fits their political narrative. So what is happening in this day and age when I go there at the these meetings or I go to these events, I'm literally trying to culture jam. I'm trying to expose what's really happening. So if I wouldn't have gone there and I'm not trying to virtue signal, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but if people wouldn't have gone there and actually did what we did, there's other cities that have had these similar events that got no attention. So that's what we have to do. We have to start standing up for ourselves because nobody's going to stand up for, for you unless you do it yourself. All right. Well, we've got a clip from your visit there. Let's play a few minutes of it and then we'll come back on the other side and you can explain what we saw here, take a look. This was from this weekend in Dallas. I'm taking shots at the enemy. I'm gonna make it to the top, leave a legacy. If I got something to say, you better let me speak. Turn it up a new degree, bitch, you ain't seen anything. They're denying me entry. They're being bigoted. They're bigoted. They're not letting me in here. I can't believe they're not letting me in the game. I thought you guys were inclusive, man. Hey. Are you guys trying to be inclusive? They're not letting me in the gay bar. Look, look how inclusive this is. Look how inclusive they are here. You can't even go into a gay bar. You guys are bigots. You guys, these guys are bigots. They won't let us in a gay bar. They're just gonna have a bunch of children dressed in here drag. They're gonna, they're gonna come here. They're gonna come here and groom a bunch of children. They're gonna groom a bunch of children in here. They won't let me in here, but they're gonna let children. They're gonna let a bunch of children on here. Look at that. They, they, they're gonna, look, isn't this funny? Look, I'm not allowed in here, but they let children in here dance. You guys don't think that's very tragic. Uh, the uh, clip goes on for a bit. Uh, where can we watch the full video, Alex? What's the best place for people to watch the whole thing? Well, unfortunately, right now I'm locked out of my Twitter account for this same video because I call these people psychopaths. And in order to get my account, about, uh, my account back, I have to admit that this was hate speech. So now I'm kind of in a Babylon B situation. But this is on my Instagram and it'll be on my YouTube. Of course, I had to wait to post it on YouTube because I had to blur out the faces of the children. But it's all over. If you type on on, uh, on Twitter, it's still on my account, Alex999. You can still view it. The account is still up. But what I'm saying is in the video, we didn't even get to the drag part. That was just me trying to get into the 
event. But the inside, there's more footage of the kids dancing, of the kids walking on the stage, sashaying with the with the transgenders and giving them money, insinuating and simulating like they're at a strip club. Okay, so let's take a look problem. at that. I, you know what? Let's go back in. I, I was going to ask you about what we were seeing there. But tell me, it looked like Antifa were on the outside. I, I think you pulled the mask off someone's face. Was that Antifa? Why were they there? What did they say and do? Well, Ezra, those Antifa, they know me because I've, I've been to many protests in Denton, Texas, at what is called University of North Texas, which is a very liberal college, even though it's a state school. And so they know me. They have a thing called the John Brown Gun Club, which uh, John Brown was a guy that went around and, and uh, shot people that he was, you know, had uh, disagreements with that he considered conservative. So, yes, they were caring. They are Antifa. They call themselves anti-fascist. Now, what they try to do is they try to counter-protest people that are protesting against, you know, trans or against some sort of weird event. So they're at all the events. That's why when you hear the audio, it's not that great from my end. But they're like, oh, Alex Stein. Oh, this is Alex. Leave, Alex. They all know who I am. And as a matter of fact, I lost my mom recently. There's videos on my YouTube where they're talking about my dead mother. These people are sick. They're, they're the actual evil ones because they have no they have no empathy because the problem is a lot of these people were abused themselves, Ezra. So it's very cyclical. So that's why they want to uh, pay it forward with the abuse that they receive. They want to abuse other people. Wow. Well, you know what? Let's go back in and watch a little bit from inside the club. Take a look at this. Toddler. You know, it, it's incredible. I say again, if that were a heterosexual strip club, it would be no less odious. And I think police would have less trouble shutting it down. I mean, in Canada, if you're a, a minor, you, you can't even go into a bar, let alone a strip club. If, if there was a strip club in, in Toronto, in Vancouver, wherever, where children were being taken by their parents or on their own or some way, that club would be raided, shut down, nothing to do with the sexuality, hetero or homo. It would have to do with why are you bringing children into such a place of disrepute? I think precisely the fact that it is trans and male is the reason why police aren't shutting that down. The vice squad is giving them a pass. A hundred percent. They don't want to come across as homophobic. And the only cops that went into the uh, establishment, you know, seemed to be homosexual cops. They, I think it was a lesbian cop because we asked her and she did say she was a lesbian. Now, at the end of the day, they, they, these police, they're afraid to go in there because they're, you know, uh, very liberal. We're, we're in Dallas, which even though Texas is a conservative state, it, uh, Dallas is pretty liberal. But you're right. This is a 21 and up establishment where they're having young children. And in Texas, they have a law. You can go into a bar with a parent. You can actually have a drink but that is meant for kids that are in their teens 16 17 18 19 not for preteens not for toddlers there's no bar in america where toddlers are supposed to hang out when there's loud bass music all those toddlers did not have ear um, you know earplugs in they probably have hearing damage i mean this is literal child abuse and i'm not saying that like hyperbolically this was actual concrete evidence 
of abuse of a toddler in a setting where they should be in a nursery, not in a gay uh, transgender strip club. Yeah, I find it deeply troubling. I think that they're trying to destroy so many institutions, destroy the family, of course, but destroy the very idea of an age of innocence. I mean, of a pre-sexual child, uh, some sort of, you know, they're trying to blur and and destroy any limits. And I think that I I, I don't think it's innocent. I don't think it's accidental. I, I and I I think what used to be a conspiracy theory powerful people who were pedophiles. I, I think the Jeffrey Epstein case and just how vast that network was and the fact that all the clients have remained secret, I think that shows that this is not accidental. I find this very troubling uh, as a citizen as an and as a dad. Last word to you, Alex Stein. First of all, congratulations for your work in general. And I know you are a performance artist and a comedian, but I think you have a lot of very serious things to say, too. Um, is this just the beginning or is there a backlash coming? I, I think that most people don't really know this is going on or they can't believe it. Uh, is there a reaction to this or is the momentum all on the side of these drag queen story hour strip clubs? Well, two, that's a two part answer, because first of all, Brian Slayton, who's a Texas representative, has now put in legislation that they're going to try to get passed, banning kids from attending drag events. And at the same time, this is just the beginning for me. Now, I'm a Blaze TV contributor. I'm working with the Blaze on creating even more content. So for me, I think this is just a start where I'm going to be able to culture jam and expose a lot of this stuff. And I appreciate you saying that I'm not a total dummy. My dad would disagree. He'd say I'm an idiot. But this is the problem, Ezra, as we got a, we got a society where they're going to give you every inch of the Amber and Johnny Depp trial. They're going to show you the actual turd and say Amber Turd all day long, but they're not going to show you one frame of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. They're not going to show you one frame of Jeffrey Epstein's um, uh, you know, uh, interior cell footage. Nancy Pelosi's husband gets a DUI, and, and luckily the police officer's body cam was not on. So it's rules for thee, but not for me. We live in a society where we have to expose these one percenters that rule the world, the one percent that has 99% of the wealth, that make our lives terrible and that is destabilizing the middle class. So I appreciate you having me on. And I do believe we are making a headway in the culture war. But this was just a culture battle win in a long culture war. There you have it. Alex Stein, very thoughtful. What a pleasure to meet with you and talk with you. And I'm thrilled to learn that you're working with the Blaze Good Friends of ours down there. Take care, my friend, and keep up the fight. There he is, Alex Stein from TheBlaze.com, doing great work on the street. Stay with us. Your letters to me next. Welcome back. Your viewer mail, Nigel Waterhouse says, congratulations, Ezra and Carrie. This is a big win for the Rebel and an even bigger win for Canadians. I'm really glad you feel that way. I'm really excited. I don't know Carrie that well other than through the media. I know he's been a fighter for conservative values uh, in journalism, in Edmonton City Hall, and as a federal conservative. So he's got a lot of experience in politics, a lot of experience in journalism. Um, you know, the average age of a Rebel News reporter is probably in the 20s. So it's good to have someone with a bit more seasoning. I think he's going to do great stuff. Of course, I love our young reporters, too. I think it is a big win. So thank you. Someone with the nickname Black Medicine says, loving the new quality videos, Ezra. Keep Rebel News growing. Thank you from your mouth to God's ears and credit to our editors and our staff. I hope you saw our documentary. We're doing some documentaries these days. I'm very very excited about them. 
Someone with the nickname Enoch was right, says, I like how in the USA they have a vetting process for Supreme Court nominees. Yes, Democrats have turned into a circus, but they at least have some kind of checks and balances in Canada. I guarantee you that 99% of Canadians can't name even one justice on the court. We have no idea who these people are and what they stand for, which is the way they want it. Extreme liberalism via subterfuge is how they rule. You are exactly right. And I think I could name all nine U.S. Supreme Court judges if, if I had to. I don't know if I could name five Canadian ones. And I'm a Canadian and I'm a former lawyer and I follow this stuff. It's because we don't scrutinize them. We didn't scrutinize them to get on the court. We don't scrutinize their highly political judgments. They're like a priestly class. I use the phrase the media party. But the court party predates the media party by decades, doesn't it? Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. This is Juan Mendoza reporting for Rebel News. We're here in Dallas at the Young Women's Leadership Summit. And uh, today I have with me uh, Ms. Lauren Chen. Thank you very much for uh, talking with us. Yeah, for sure. Love the work the Rebel does. Always happy to speak with you guys. So what motivated you to come here speak at the event here? Well, first off, I think it's so important that Turning Point USA is working with women specifically, because uh, right now, obviously, the left kind of has not quite a monopoly, but they, they really have a, a grip on women's politics in general. They really control the language, they control the narrative. When it comes to things like abortion, uh, you know, even a lot of what's going on in schools and everything like that. So I think reaching young women and letting them know that conservatism is for them, like it is for everyone, is really important. And specifically, the panel I'm going to be talking on today is about women in the media. And I think the media is one of the main reasons why so many young women are going down the path of leftist politics, of feminism. And, you know, we see all of this, all these TikToks coming out of young girls claiming to be whatever gender, even getting some mastectomies. I blame the media for a lot of that. Uh, so the opportunity to have this platform and to speak out against it and to raise awareness for it, I think is awesome. And uh, so... As a Canadian, I'm assuming you're you're keeping in uh, like aware of the actions that are happening right now yeah. with Trudeau and the uh, Parliament there. Uh, so, what are your thoughts right now? I mean, recently he's been trying to get like a a handgun ban there. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. Uh, and there's other actions that have been uh, controversial there. So what are your thoughts about all that that's going on? Well, gunner, gun owners in Canada have known for a long time that Trudeau is coming for their guns. And for anyone who's not aware right now, Canada has very, very strict gun control already. Um, so to get a gun, just like a, a long gun, we're talking about a rifle and things like that, you need to pass a course and a background check. Uh, you need to have references and all of that. And uh, not to mention, we already have very strict limits on the number of rounds you can have in a magazine. It's limited to five if it's semi-automatic. And there were already uh, further restrictions on top of that if you wanted a handgun specifically. The only way you can have a handgun really is if you also belong to a range and the only official reason for owning a handgun in Canada is sportsmanship to shoot it at a range. And uh, it's, a, it's another, uh, I guess, course and another intensive background check if you want your restricted uh, gun license. And so for Trudeau to say, okay, now we're just banning it outright. Well, obviously the 
already very strict gun measures we have in Canada are not working on crime. We see gun crime rising in Toronto and unfortunately Montreal as well. So really what Trudeau is doing here is just punishing law-abiding Canadians who have for a long time had their right to defend themselves just be trampled on. So it's, it's really too bad.